Hello, welcome to today's program. My name is Peter Hockley, an evangelist at Oxford Bible Church. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. And I want to begin by reading a verse of scripture that we find in the book of Acts, chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse 9. It says, Now, when he, that's Jesus, had spoken these things, while they watched, that's the disciples, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? And this is what I want us to notice today. This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And there are three things that I want to draw out and draw your attention to in this passage. First of all, that those uh, angelic men who met the disciples on the Mount of Olives said, this same Jesus, just highlight that, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven. Secondly, he, they said, he will so come or shall come. And thirdly, in the same manner, in like manner, as you saw him go into heaven. You know, there are four things that are so dear to us in our Christian faith, four doctrines, and make sure that you never let that word doctrine become something that's cold and technical. We're talking about four glorious truths about our Lord Jesus Christ, namely his birth, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. When we speak of the birth of Jesus, we are remembering that our Savior identified with us. The Word was made flesh. The Son of God, who has no beginning, who is from everlasting to everlasting, who was with the Father in the very beginning and was himself in his very nature God. The one who created all things came down from heaven to the earth that he created. The one who made man in his own image and likeness voluntarily made himself in the likeness of man, clothed in human nature, wrapped in human frailty and was born of a virgin. And why was it that he was born? So that he might taste death for every man. Because in his death, Jesus paid for our sins. He went to the cross and took our sins there with him. He was cut off, but not for himself. We were sinners, separated from God with no means to avoid the judgment of the Lord for our sin against his holiness. But God loved this world so much that he gave his only son and Christ gave himself and he willingly accepted the punishment that should have been ours, that we deserved for sin. And so now all who accept him and his sacrifice on their behalf can be forgiven of sin. He was hung on the cross and became a curse for us so that we, through faith in him and trusting in his death, could be made righteous. But you know, the death of Christ would do us no favors without the resurrection. And praise God, the grave couldn't hold him. His sacrifice was accepted by the Father. And on the third day, he rose again. And now because he lives, we can live also. For the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us and makes us spiritually alive also. And then fourthly, of course, the ascension, as we just read from the book of Acts. Christ, who first descended from heaven, then ascended again to his rightful place, seated at the Father's right hand, making intercession for us to this day. And where he is, 
one day we will be also. You know, there is a place beyond this world and he's preparing room for us there. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you there. But in addition to these wonderful truths, these four glorious doctrines, we must not neglect the glorious, exciting truth of the second coming of Christ. Jesus shall come. We just read it in that text in the book of Acts. Those angels said that this same Jesus shall come. And make no mistake about it, my friend, he will come physically, bodily, and in person. We're not talking about some mythical, misty, hazy sort of spiritual allegory. He literally went up as the apostles witnessed that day, and he shall literally come down again. It is a matter of fact. You know, other religions might not believe it. Atheists may not like it. The devil certainly hates it and doesn't want it to happen, but there is nothing that he can do about it. At the hour the Father has chosen, and not one minute before, not one second after, but at that hour the Father has determined his Son shall rise from the throne where he sits at the Father's right hand, and he shall come. And the scripture says, this same Jesus shall come. And I want to highlight that for you. He is the same Jesus who is returning, not an imitation, not a copy, not a replacement or a reincarnation. We're not speaking of someone who will be born from another womb with a different face and a new name with another nationality. The same Jesus will come. And it's important to understand this because, you know, in history and even in the world right now, there are many men who have claimed to be the second coming of Christ. I read about one man in Queensland, Australia, who right now, a man surnamed Miller, who has declared himself to be the second coming of Christ and has drawn hundreds of followers from all around the world. People have joined him from here in the UK, from the USA and other places, gone out there to Queensland to sit under this man as his disciples, believing that he is the second coming of Christ. And he's not the only one. There is another man, perhaps even more well-known, who goes by the name of Vissarion, who is in Russia and out there in the woods in Russia. He's got about 4,000-odd people who live with him out there. And he's grown his hair long and grown out his beard so he looks the part and has proclaimed himself to be the second coming of Christ. And these are just two examples that I could give you. There are so many more. And I've often wondered uh, how absurd it would be to get all of these men together in the same room and what kind of wacky conversations would take place with these individuals who proclaim themselves to be Christ. But in all seriousness, this is dangerous blasphemy. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. He's warned us ahead of time. He said, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. No, the scripture says that the same Jesus who departed this earth is returning to it. The same Lord who ascended up from the earth is returning to the earth again. And Jesus is coming, it says, in the same manner as he went away. And this is how we can know that all of these other individuals are false. He's not going to show up at your doorstep and ring the doorbell. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And he went on to say, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven 
and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Yes, no more swaddling cloths, no more need for a manger, no star of Bethlehem in the sky, for the Son of God himself will appear in the heavens. It was going to be the greatest entrance in the history of the world, and every eye will behold his coming. But you know, before that glorious appearing of Christ, which comes immediately after the tribulation of those days, before that time when the judgments of God are being poured out upon evil in the world, before this even happens, as the scripture says, in a day and hour that no one knows, with no warning, with no signs beforehand, with no indication that anything is different, while people are eating and drinking and marrying and giving, uh, giving one another in marriage, uh, while life is seemingly going on uh, as normal, in a sudden moment, Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to come like a thief in the night and call his saints to be with him in the rapture. He is coming back for us who are Christian people, for his bride, for the church, for the redeemed who he purchased with his own blood. And when that moment comes, my friend, life as you and I know it is over. The routines and the patterns that we've established and live according to each day, they are going to be gone forever. Just think about that return of Jesus Christ for you and me, his beloved church. When that happens, everything is going to change. There'll be no more beds, no more alarm clocks for us, no more earthly jobs. And I can hear so many of you already saying amen to that. There'll be no more shopping. No more trips to the supermarket, no more paying bills, no more banking, no more need for money of any kind, because where we're going, the very pavements are made of gold. No more simple things like chores and housework. There'll be no more laundry, no more ironing, no more menial tasks and simple everyday things like replacing batteries or changing light bulbs. You're never going to send, when Jesus comes, another email again in your life, and you will never pick up. A telephone again. Yep, everything is going to change when Jesus comes. For me and those of us at Oxford Bible Church, there'll be no more OBC. One Sunday will be our last together under the same roof, and the next time we meet, it will be with the Lord in the air. And the same will be true for you, my friend, wherever you fellowship. You'll sing your last praise songs and hear your final sermon. You'll sip your last cup of fellowship tea and then hug your brother wave goodbye to your sister, and the very next time you see them is not going to be at the midweek small group or the prayer meeting or the Bible study, but it will be in the presence of the Lord in glory. And Jesus will come. He's going to come swiftly and suddenly. Revelation chapter 22 verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Yes, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. There'll be no time to call your pastor and check with him. Hello, pastor. I think it might be happening. I can feel something in the air. No, it's going to happen just like that. And I wonder, what will you be doing at that hour when the Lord comes? What would you want to be doing at that moment of his appearing? Yes, you and I are going to see our king. The apostle Peter speaks of us at this time now loving Jesus, even though we haven't yet seen him. First Peter Chapter 1 and verse 8 says, Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. But friend, on that day, our eyes will behold him. The Son of God will be right before us. Our Savior 
will be visible to us. The one who bled for us on Calvary will be standing there right before our eyes. And we will see our resurrected Christ just as the apostles saw him after his resurrection when he stepped into that locked room and said, peace be with you. And just like Thomas, you and I are going to fall down and worship and say, oh, my Lord and my God. So let's take a moment now to ponder that day when Jesus returns and gathers us to him, a day that could come any day now. I think how surprising it will be for us in those first seconds after he comes. First John chapter three and verse two says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Yes, we are going to be like him when he is manifest. Couple that with 1 Corinthians 15, 52, which says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And don't confuse this last trumpet that Paul speaks of with the seven trumpets of the book of Revelation. No, Paul had no knowledge of those trumpets when he wrote these words some decades before John was ever on the Isle of Patmos. No, the seven trumpets were something that was revealed to John exclusively. And we're told in Revelation chapter 11, and you can go and read it for yourself. We're told in the, in the Bible there what happens when that seventh trumpet is blown. And when that trumpet sounds, it isn't followed by the rapture or indeed even the end of the tribulation. The seventh trumpet is blown and the Antichrist steal still wields power and is still worshipped in the earth. The horrors of judgment are still falling all around the world. And of course, the seven trumpets are then followed by the seven bowls of wrath. No, this isn't what Paul is referring to. But by last or final, he means simply that this is a trumpet that signals the end of something, the conclusion of something, the close of something. It's like a school bell that uh, marks the end of a lesson, or indeed your alarm clock that signals the end of your sleep. And just like that alarm, the trumpet is going to summon you to attention and call you to come. It is the last trumpet as it not only closes out your and my earthly life, but it closes out the church age as it is, the dispensation of grace. And as that particular window closes and with it uh, Christ's saved ones are pulled away from the earth, so the door of the tribulation will suddenly swing wide open. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will what? Transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Think of that instant, my friend. And I'm sure in that moment you're going to realize just how special you are to him as his power radiates through your whole being, instantly transforming you into his image. When death is swallowed up, when mortality puts on immortality and he changes our lowly body to become like his 
glorious body. Because yes, at this very moment, our bodies are indeed lowly because they bruise, they bleed, they wither, they age. But Jesus is going to transform you in that hour and uh, you will find yourself with a new body just like his, one that is glorified and bursting with his holy power, unable to be touched any longer by frailty or by pain and tiredness or by sickness and disease, where not even death itself will be able to lay a finger upon you. And I think that when Jesus returns, you'll also be acutely aware of how great his desire is for you and always has been. What the Spirit is whispering to your hearts right now about how precious you are to him each and every day. This is going to explode like thunder on that day as your eyes meet his and nothing but love and acceptance and peace shoot back in your direction. When his joy is fulfilled and complete in you and you're going to understand in that moment why he is a jealous God and doesn't want ever to share the throne of your heart with another. And you'll see also that there was no reluctance at all on his part when he came 2,000 years ago to die for you. But you'll know that it's true that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And that joy that he anticipated back then was bringing you to himself on that day. You will see also in that moment how faithful your Lord is, how devoted to you he has always been. The irony, of course, is that when you see him, you'll realize that you always had him. There was never a moment you were alone in this life. He has never once left you or forsaken you. He's never been distracted, but has always been by your side and always been focused on you. I'm sure also that when you stand before Christ, in fact, I'm convinced that you will shudder when you notice what omnipotent power was available to you every moment of your Christian life. How puny every obstacle you faced was before the sight of the Lord. How weak every enemy was compared to your God. You know, the devil would have you believe that he and God are somewhat similar in strength and that there's some sort of tug of war over your life. And it could go either way. But on that day, you'll see that God has no equal. It will be crystal clear to you that all power, yep, all power in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus Christ. I think you'll also recognize how much of a helper the Spirit of God truly was, how mighty and how able and also how willing to make his strength your own during this life, how perfect his strength was made in your weakness. The shoulders of the Lord were broad enough, his arms were strong enough to carry those burdens that you carried yourself day after tiresome day, year after agonizing year. And though it may not feel like it at times now, my friend, when that glorious day comes, when Jesus calls you to him, you'll know for sure that sin really had no more dominion over you. From the moment you believed in Jesus Christ, it had no more power to control you. When the Son made you free, you were truly free indeed. And in every temptation, the Lord was right there with you and for you, not wagging his finger, not with stern hands upon his lips, but right there at your side, providing a way for you to escape that temptation. Yes, you will see how good God is. Goodness beyond your wildest dreams, goodness beyond my capability to convey to you in words, that no evil in your life ever came from him, but only those good and perfect gifts which come 
from the Father. You'll realize that there was grace. You'll know it's true that his help was there, that strength was available in every trial you ever faced. And those afflictions you suffered, just like Paul said, really were light compared to that eternal weight of glory that you're stepping into on that day. And what glory it's going to be, what eye-opening uh, awakening it's going to be for each of us who Christ calls to be with him. And if these things are true, which will hit us so starkly when we stand before him on that day, then how much more should that impact and influence our lives and our thinking right now? But also I want to highlight that when the Lord comes, there'll also be no pretending on that day. There'll be no pretense, no faking, no putting on an act. His first order of business will be to judge us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And notice Paul said we, he's including himself, the we is Christians, believers. And thank goodness the issue here isn't heaven or hell. That business was settled by Jesus at the cross and all who believe in him have already passed from death to life. But what's in view here is the judgment of our lives and our conduct as Christians and whether or not we will receive from the Lord blessing and rewards and commendation for faithfulness or maybe the loss of those things for a lack of faithfulness. What kind of Christians have we been? What is the verdict that we're going to hear on that day? Because each of us will take our turn at the Lord's throne. It cannot be avoided. You can't hand in a sick note and skip that day. You can't send somebody else to go in your place. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I'll be there just like you'll be there. And when that time comes, of course, there'll be no more time to go back and change things or do things differently. Do you pray? Because on that day, some of us might wish that we had prayed more. Because in that instance, we will see without any doubt how beneficial prayer always was, how far-reaching its effects were, how powerful a tool prayer has always been at our disposal. Do you study your Bible? Because when that time comes, you'll learn how valuable it is to sow the seed of the Scriptures into your heart for your life and your health. You'll know that man really doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have to ask ourselves, do we walk in love? You know, Christ commanded us to love one another. It was his final and most important instruction to his disciples before he went to the cross. And he said it would be the defining mark of his people that they had love for one another. But five minutes inside eternity, I think some of us might long for just five more minutes on the earth. One more chance to love, to forgive, to show mercy, to express kindness or extend to someone a tender hand of compassion. When we see the face of that one who is love incarnate and stand before his throne, some of us might well wish that we had loved more or loved harder. In the presence of Jesus, you know, there is no more room for strife or division or resentment. You'll see those things and the people you had those things with very differently in that moment, in a whole new light, in fact, his light. And none of us in that moment we'll want to cling any longer to pride or stubbornness or our deep-seated feeling of being right. On that day, we'll want to throw those things as far from us as possible and we'll regret having not done it while there was still time here on the earth. So what else, friend? 
on the day that Jesus returns, well, will we wish that we had sacrificed more for the kingdom of God, served more, sweat more, wept more, worshipped more? When Jesus returns for us here, the work on earth will be done. And I hope and I pray that all of us will be able to say that we have played our part and served him well. Revelation chapter 3 verse 11, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Yes, don't let your reward go to another. Run your race, keep the pace, and stay the course until the very end. And then Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And if we do not reap in all this life for the good that we've done for the Lord, then rest assured that there is a reaping beyond imagination that awaits us in the presence of the King when he will lavish treasure from heaven upon those that meet him. Revelation 22 verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Notice that his focus is with regard to our judgment is positive and not negative. It's with rewards he's talking about. He doesn't say, watch out, I'm coming with a stick. But his intention is to reward us. He wants to stir us up now to be busy about his business. Because when he comes and calls you to himself, he means to reward you. And it's going to be glorious on that day. And you know, none of this is to discourage, but rather to encourage. There is still time to make a change today. This message isn't to condemn anyone for what you haven't done, but to spur you on to what you can still do. Jesus is merciful and there is a glorious moment that you and I have right now to say yes to him. Those who've never received him, turn to Christ today. Accept him as your Lord and Savior. Ask him to forgive your sins and commit your life to him. Give him your heart and make sure that when he comes for his people, you are one of them. And you, Christian, that has lost fire or lost hope or fallen behind or maybe grown cold, it's not too late for you. Use this moment now to rededicate yourself to God and he will welcome you with open arms as the loving Father that he is. And those of you that are hot for Christ, keep your lamps burning, keep shining, keep running, because it's not in vain. The King of Kings is coming for us. And when he does, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more aches or pains, no more toil or sweat, no more sorrow ever because those things will have passed away. So press into him now, love him now, pray now, study the word of God now, dwell in his presence and enjoy him now. Seek his face now and you'll be ever so glad when you see his face then. Four Nights with the Devil a true story of deliverance from evil is my testimony of how back in 2002 as a young man on a spiritual journey looking for answers and spiritual truth I found myself involved heavily in the occult and engaging in occult practices troubled and tormented by demons until calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ he rescued me and set me free this book is available on Amazon or everywhere in the world as a paperback. It's also available as a Kindle download. I want to encourage you to get this book as an encouragement in your faith that Jesus is Lord over all devils and demons. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3. 7QH
You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.